0: This is the Rise City Church Sermon Podcast. We are a church in Gresham, Oregon, on a mission to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. We would love for you to join us on Sundays. For more information, check out our website, rise.cc. Whether you already follow Jesus or are exploring Christianity, we hope that you experience the power of God through this message.
1: is it that steps towards God and faith are so often met with resistance? Why do temptations to cave, compromise, or call it quits abound? In the pages of the Bible, we learn about a battle that rages beneath. A spiritual force at work under the surface. Our opposition is described in three categories. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Three enemies poised against our progress in Christ as the devil schemes to deceive us and the flesh desires to distract us. and a world set on establishing this broken state as idyllic, it is time to unmask the face of our enemy and fight back. Through the gospel, their power is shattered, the enemy is vanquished, and power to overcome by faith is unleashed. There is a real spiritual conflict, but Jesus is the great conqueror. Let us strengthen our souls for war, prepare our minds for battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil.
0: What is up, Rise City Church? I was standing back there. You guys all seemed really rowdy this morning. I was excited for that. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's Scott. Uh, me, me and my wife and my kids have been here at Rise calling this home for the past six years or so, and, and we, we just love to, to be a part of this church. Uh, when, when I was growing up, around fifth or sixth grade, I went to the beach with like a church camp. And we're at, at the beach, and we go one day to, like, these dunes, and it's this gigantic sand hill. And on the sand hill, there's, like, these little cliffs. And you can run down the hill and get some pretty good speed and just launch yourself off the cliffs. And you, you just, like, kind of soar down the hill and then land in this soft sand, and it just, like, feels like you're flying, and it's pretty amazing. And, you know, we're all trying to do, like, one-upping each other and who can do, like, the, the best flip or spin or all of this. And, and me and some of the other guys, we... Go up around the back of this dune and we find this one spot where the sand kind of comes down one way and then almost like a wind drift type deal it goes down the other way and it's pristine. Like no one's been in the sand, there's no footprints, it's like super soft. Well, there's actually a reason for this because at the bottom of this like very steep sandy hill, it just drops off a cliff into rocks and like the sea comes bashing in. So you don't go down there, but but I decide, hey, I'm gonna like, jump off this thing and it'll be cool. And so you launch off, and then you land, and all of a sudden, like all the sand's like kind of slowly like moving down, and I'm like panicked and terrified as I'm moving down this hill. And so you're turning around, and I'm like clamoring back up. Obviously, I made it because I probably wouldn't be standing here with us today if I didn't. But there's like this moment of terror because I was in imminent danger, like actual imminent danger. I was at like the very brink of disaster because I failed to see how dangerous it really was. I failed to see the reality of actually what could and would happen if I was to to go off of the edge of this cliff. And so so often, this is how it is in our lives. We we fail to see the dangers. And if we fail to see both the dangers of the enemy within, and, and address it, the flesh, We actually find our lives poised on a precipice, like like a cliff. Like we we find our lives in danger if we don't address this thing called the flesh. And this is where we're at in this series of the world and the flesh and the devil. Like we we could be at the very brink of disaster if we don't address this. And and the Bible looks at this idea of what is the flesh. And and we're going to go through these like four major questions. This morning, the four major questions in the scriptures of, first of all, what is the flesh? Like, what do we mean by the flesh? When, when you go to Ephesians chapter 2 and you, you find out about addressing the world, the flesh, and the devil, what does that even mean? And then we're going to look at, like, okay, well, why is that even a problem? Like, what's, what's the big deal? Why, why do we have to spend an entire week addressing this issue of the flesh? And thirdly, like, okay, what's the biblical theology of dr- addressing the flesh? Like, what what does the Bible have to say about this? And lastly, like, how do we practically combat the flesh? Like, like, what does it look like to take all this stuff that we learn and then translate it into our daily lives? And, And so the first of these is, like, just what is the flesh? And if you do like a concordance search or or go on like Bible Gateway and you just type in the flesh, you'll see like hundreds and hundreds of of things come up. And there's different contexts for the way that the Bible talks about this. A lot of the context just means flesh and blood, like the physical body or or talking about like sacrifices and things like that. But in the world, the flesh and the devil, this context, that's not what it means. It's not talking about the body. It's talking about something else. It's talking about like this inner nature. So he, here's like a working definition of what, what is the flesh. It is the corrupt inner nature of humanity that is rather than god in its orientation and desires. Let me say that again. It is the corrupt inner nature of humanity that is self-word rather than Godward in its nature and desires. And, he, and here's what we find is that, that actually this nature resides in all of us. The, the, the Bible says that all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, that, that we are all corrupt because we have rejected a holy and righteous God and what he has for us and the good that he has for us. We, we have rejected that. And so we find that we are actually like corrupt in our inner nature. James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 talk about it this way. And it doesn't use the word flesh, but it's implied. And we see this like corruption within ourselves. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. But by by our own desires, by our own lusts, like this is what we go after in the flesh, and this is why it's so dangerous for us, is that, so you have the the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the world comes at you like saying, hey, you want these things, and the devil comes at you trying to tempt you, but when they're most successful, when the world and the devil are most successful is when they come at you with the things that we already want, right? Like when 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 they put before us the things that we already desire, that's when we fall so hard. It's because we want to go after them. This this is the flesh, and it's self word in nature. Like like please me. I, I I think about this. I I have three kids, and but if if you have kids, if you've ever talked to children, like if you ever tried to tell a child to do something that they didn't want to do or not to do something that they did want to do, you'll understand this. Because anytime you, you tell them, hey, I need you to go clean your room, here's the response. But I was doing this. Or hey, you need to eat like that meatball. Like I don't want to eat the meatball, but I but I like but I don't want that. But I do want this. But I'm doing this. But I but I but I like like this is the response of kids. It's because it's we might know what's good for them. Like i I know it's good for my son Owen to like eat protein and not just cereal, like that's all he wants to eat, like ever. like no protein, but I'm like, you you need protein to survive and grow, and so I have to like force him, but but it's like, but I don't like the I don't want I know what's best, but but he has this self forward thing, but what, what's interesting is we we can easily point this out in children. It's so prevalent, but but isn't it so prevalent in every single one of us? Isn't it the, the same thing? That there are things that are good for us? There are things that are right that might be hard. And, and we just are like, no, but I, I don't want that. I don't want to deal with that. That's hard. I, I just want to sit here in my comfort. Hey, this, is, this is what we do. This is what it is. To the flesh is that, that we look towards ourselves instead of what the good and holy and righteous God has for us. But we might still ask the question, well, why, why is it that such a big deal? Why, why is it bad to look out for number one? Why, why is it bad that, that I just want to sit in comfort? Why, why is it bad that I want to do these things? And the, and the Bible has something to say about this. this. This is actually our passage today from Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the, the, the whole part of the passage is, uh, I'm in Ephesians, not Galatians. How that happen? Uh, Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 22, or 24, but, but starting in verse 19 here, check this out. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that was a really big, long, run-on sentence with like a huge list in the middle. And if you're like me, I would have been sitting there and I would have just got totally lost but but let's break this and pull out like pieces of the sentence and we'll set them aside and, and deal with them in here in a minute but break it down to its base part of what the sentence is saying now the deeds of the flesh are evident those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god the deeds of the flesh are evident and those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of god and this is where we run into like the, the first big problem of, of why the flesh is so dangerous and why it's such a problem. It's because we won't inherit the kingdom of God if we give in to these things consistently. This is what the scriptures say, and anytime time I hear this phrase, kingdom of God, I'm always drawn back to Jesus. You go through the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these accounts of Jesus' life, and Jesus is always talking about the kingdom of God, or sometimes he uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing, and, and he's always like, hey, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a mustard seed, or the kingdom of God is like this, and a sower went out. like He's always talking about the kingdom of God. And he's saying what it's like and what it's like to be a part of the kingdom. But but eventually, here's what we get to in Revelation, is we see that, that there is a day, a judgment day, when we stand before the living God and he's got all these books open and the books record all the deeds of all mankind and he's got another book open, which is the book of life. And anybody whose name is written in the book of life gets welcomed into this kingdom of God. And if you're a believer here today, you're already part of that kingdom, but we look forward to the day when we're welcomed in, and he says, welcome, my good and faithful servant. And the only way that your name is ever written in that book is purely by faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. But here's the scary and gnarly reality of it, is those whose names are not written, who do not have faith in Christ, who go on living... And practicing the things of the flesh are cast out. They're cast out into an abyss. Uh, Jesus talks about this at the very end of Matthew. And he talks about that those who, who aren't welcomed in are cast into the abyss that is created for Satan and his angels. And Jesus didn't shy away from talking about hell. Like, he didn't shy away from it. He actually has more to teach us than almost like the rest of the Bible about what hell is and how gnarly it is. He doesn't shy away from it. He tells us that it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place where the fire never goes out and the worm never dies. This is the way that Jesus... Jesus himself describes this place that if you're not in the kingdom of God and you don't have faith in Jesus here in this life when you enter into eternity you'll be cast out and this is, this is why it's a big deal because like why is it a problem because if we go on living our lives for our flesh rejecting God and fulfilling the desires of our flesh it leads to eternal death and that's a big deal Right, That's a big deal and a big issue. And we might be like, well, I I don't know. Is it really that bad? Well, let's look at the list that he gives us. As he speaks, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Apostle Paul in, in this, says immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Man, I know when I read a list like this, I'm like, you know, there might be like one or two that I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, I'm not doing any sorcery. But like, but the rest of the list, I'm like, that's me. That, like, that's me. And I think if we were all actually real with who we are and ourselves, we would see ourselves throughout this list. Like we would see ourselves in this, in this list, and if you don't see yourself in this list, can I just implore you to maybe actually be real with yourself and where you're at? Man, we, we see ourselves in this list, but but it actually goes further because one thing that we can do is we can sit back and we can judge others and we can say, yeah, but it's those other terrible people. Like we have these two classifications of people, like the the normal people that just kind of mess up and like we think it's not a big deal. And then those terrible people that do those terrible things and like it's some other deal, like I'm not like them. And we stand back and we place ourselves above them. But But here's what happens in the scriptures, and here's what happens with Jesus himself specifically, is he always is concerned about the heart. He's always concerned about the heart. Go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus does this amazing sermon, and he goes through, and he's always addressing the heart. And If you know or remember what he says, he says things like this. He says, you've heard that it's said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anybody who lusts after a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's like, I care more about your heart because out of your heart comes that action. Whether you don't actually do the action or not, whether you actually commit it or not, like it's already in your heart. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But I tell you that anybody who hates his brother has already committed murder in his heart. That Jesus is always addressing the heart. And here's the the, the really painful thing. I I, I think we would see this. If we would take that that whole group of people that we think about of like, oh, those terrible people. And if we, we had some way to go back in their lives. And to see the thoughts and the intentions of their heart. The things that they thought about before all of those terrible deeds that they did. I think we would find that those thoughts are very much the same as the thoughts that we think. That's painful to look at. That that Jesus addresses the hearts and we we see this and we see that there's this dire warning that we might not inherit the kingdom of God. But but it's not just that that's a problem. Because the gospel has something so much more than rescuing us just from punishment. Like, like if the gospel, all it was, was just to rescue us from hell and punishment and then like no more, like that'd be good news. Like you don't have to undergo that, but God has something so much better for us. The, the gospel is actually a very, very small and weak gospel if it just rescues us from punishment. But God has something big and profound and amazing for us. It's not that you're just rescued from something terrible. It's not that you just escape something negative, but that you're given something so good in the gospel that God lavishes gifts and wonder upon us that, that even though we deserve this he gives us everything that we don't deserve that is good and amazing and beautiful and wonderful and we see the contrast between this in this very passage we see we see this list of things of giving into the flesh but check out the fruit of the spirit verse 22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control against such things. There is no law. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I want that to mark my life. Love and joy and peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like Those things are desirable. Those are the things that, that I want to mark my life. Those are beautiful gifts of God. And we we see these two things standing opposed, the the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And the problem is, is when we just indulge the flesh, we we don't abide in the Spirit. We don't receive the fruits of the Spirit. What, What happens, why is it a problem? Why is this flesh thing a problem? Because in fulfilling the desires of the flesh, we miss out on the good things that God has for us. And that's, that's why a big, it's a huge issue. And we need to actually seriously consider these things. We need to seriously consider the consequences of fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And we're not gonna shy away from talking about things like hell because it's in the scriptures. Jesus lays this out for us. We're, we're gonna deal with them, but, but we're also gonna talk about his gospel and his grace and his goodness because that's where it's at. But when we go through that list of the desires of the flesh, there, there's two dangers that we can be caught in. One could be this danger of just pride and arrogance of, oh, I'm not that bad, or I don't really see myself in that. And like, like I already said, I just implore you to be, be real with yourself. But, but the second danger is that we would see ourselves in that list, we would see ourselves in that list and say, like, yeah, I have outbursts of anger. Yeah, I do cause disputes. Yes, jealousy and envy are, like, in my heart. Like, like I see these things, and you're telling me that if I do these things, I won't inherit the kingdom of God? Is there no hope? Like, like do I just despair because I see myself in this list? No, because it's it's not a... What he's not getting at is like this like, doctrine of works where you like, have to work for your salvation. That's antithetical to the gospel. That's not what the gospel is. Jesus died once for all to save you. You don't have to work to get in the kingdom of heaven. But, but here, uh, some of the versions, like the English Standard Version, the ESV, a lot of you have, will say, like, do these things. I, I think the NASB gets the translation right, though. It says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it's this idea of practice. Like, what do we do when we practice? Like, like we do it over and over and over until we get better at it, right? And these are not the things that we want to be practicing. But it's this idea of, no, like, if, if Jesus has saved you, yeah, we see ourselves in that list because it's part of our fallen fleshly nature and we want it. But we turn away from practicing those things and say, Jesus Lead me away from this. Spirit, lead me away from this and grow the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And it's it's this long process of sanctification that God walks us through in this life. That this danger of despairing, we need to put away and find the hope that Jesus and the Spirit has for us as he walks us through. So so what do we do? What, what, What do we do about this? How do we biblically address the flesh? Like, what's the biblical theology of addressing the flesh? In the same passage, just a few verses before, starting in verse 16, says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. There, there's a few things that we can take out of this to see like, hey, how, how does, are we instructed to actually address the flesh? And the first one is actually right in the middle of this, is that we actually have to realize that there's a war going on. Look, look at what it says. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. There's an opposition happening. And the reason why like realizing this and recognizing that there was a war going on is the first thing is because when there is a war at your door, you do something about it, right? When the war is way far off, you might not think about it, and you don't do anything about it. But when it reaches your door front, you say, oh gosh, like I have to engage here. I have no choice but to engage. So we recognize in this passage that like, there is an actual war going on. And the war involves even our own flesh. And second of all, we, we need to look at the biblical ways that we deal with temptation. That we deal with the desires of the flesh. We, we see one, I, th- I think there's three biblical ways in which we respond to temptation. One of them's here in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Do you see the cause effect? That when you do this, this is the effect. One of the things I, I think about this. I, I'm really into ponds, like self-contained, like ponds. I don't know why. I don't have a pond. Um, I just like watch videos and research things. And I was talking to Ken Pettit one time, and he has like a pond, and he was having troubles with algae, and like found out that I like like ponds, and he's like, Hey, can you come check this out and help me? We're gonna try and fix my algae problem. And, and so what we end up doing is we, we actually need to create a good home for these beneficial bacteria called nitrifying bacteria that eat, like, the ammonia and turn it into nitrites and nitrates. And, and what you do is you, you just, like, nourish these bacteria and create, like, a living space where they will, like, be prolific and just take over. And what happens is the bacteria is taking all the nutrients and the algae starves. The way that you actually have a crystal clear pond is not by trying to get rid of the algae but creating a home for the bacteria in which it actually starves the algae out. And I think this is what we see in this. But I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. When we spend our time nourishing our relationship with the Holy Spirit and walking with him and following him and being with him, and we find our joy in God above everything else, all those things start to fade as worthless and useless. One of the ways that we do a deal with temptation is to starve. it. But this isn't the only way that the, the scriptures outline. There's actually three, starve, kill, and flee. Like, these are the three biblical outlines for how we deal with temptations. We starve it, which we already saw. But Romans chapter 8, 13 says that if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you are putting to death, if you do mortify, if you kill the deeds of the body, you will live. Like, we actively kill certain temptations in our life and the struggles and the desires that we have. And we say, no, no cut them off, like kill them, we have to put it to death actively. But then there's times where we don't do that, and we flee, we flee temptation. I think most notably of like the biblical story of Joseph way back in the Old Testament. If you don't know the story, this guy Joseph, he had like 11 brothers and his brothers like sold him into like slavery in Egypt, like super nice brothers, right? And he goes to Egypt and he actually finds favor and like he like rises he's still a slave but like he's overseeing a lot of this stuff and the guy that's over him is this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar has like this super beautiful wife that comes to Joseph one day and like tries to like seduce him and sleep with him and Joseph like bails, like he, he flees, he runs away, like so much so that she like grabs his robe and he's just like slips out of the arms and like peace out, like, right? How idiotic would it be for Joseph to deal with that temptation by just staying there and being like, I'm just gonna like punk this one out and like not give in, but I'm gonna stay here. Like, no, it's dumb, like run, like get away from that temptation, right? There, there are times in which the right reaction is to starve. There are times that the right reaction is to to stand up against and kill the temptations that are rising within, and there's sometimes where it's just like, no, we just get completely away. And there's a wisdom and a following of the Spirit, which is actually this next one. We see in this verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Led by the Spirit. When we're led by the Spirit, Something beautiful happens. Is we're not under law. We're not trying to create a whole list or looking at this list of, oh, I don't do these things immorality, impurity, sensuality, carousing, drunkenness, reviling all the things in that list. It's not like, oh, I create this list and I just gotta make sure not to do these and now I write down the fruits of the Spirit and I, I gotta do these things. It's the fruits of the Spirit. It's the natural occurrence of being led by the Spirit, not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not law. It's being led and in relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, it's not licentiousness. It's not a license to do anything we want. If you're under grace of Jesus Christ, that is not a license to just go and live however we want. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? May it never be. Like, that's, that's not what we do. What we do is we're led by the Spirit. I, th- I think about it like this. If you were like to go spelunking, like cave exploring, and like all you brought was like one, one flashlight with one like double-A battery. That's a dumb idea, right? And like you end up like miles and miles back in these like crazy caves with chasms and pitfalls and all of this. And your light is out, and you're just like, all right, well, like I'm dead. And the Holy Spirit shows up with a lantern. And you're like, I'm saved. Yeah, you are saved. But he's going to lead you out into the light. And he says, hey, come follow me. And he holds up his lantern. And you follow behind him with his light. And the whole time that you're following behind him, he's pointing things out. And he says, hey, you see that area right there? That rock is not stable. And if you stand there, you will slip and you will fall into that chasm. Follow me. Hey, watch out. You will trip and you'll fall over that. Be careful. Hey, you see that area? We're just going to go around that and avoid that altogether. The Spirit leads us through, away from even the temptations of our own flesh so that we're not under law, not slipping into licentious, not fulfilling the things of the flesh, but being led by the Spirit. And it's a beautiful life to live like that. But, but here's one of the issues that I think that, that a lot of us have. Is you're like, okay, cute analogy but there's not actually like a dude showing up with a light, right? But what do I do? What what does that actually look like? I'm not actually following some dude with a light, like like I'm I'm getting up and I'm going to work tomorrow. What does it look like in my life to be led by the Spirit? What does it look like to put to death the deeds of the body or flee the deeds of the body or starve the deeds of the body, the, the flesh? What does it actually look like in my life? How do we practically combat the flesh? If you know me and you've had any conversations with me or heard me preach before, you can probably guess the first one. How do you practically combat the flesh? It's this right here. First and foremost, get into your Bibles. Man, do you know what this is? It is the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God. You want to know what it is to be led by the Spirit? Get into the thing where the Spirit talks to us. Like, yeah, a bunch of guys wrote this down. Guys like Paul. Guys like Matthew. But but you hear me say things and use certain phrases for a reason. That the Holy Spirit writes to us through the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit writes to us through Moses. The Holy Spirit writes to us through David. It's the Holy Spirit like giving us this word behind us this is how he leads us this is how he talks to us this is how he shows us the pitfalls you want to see the pitfalls they're written right in this scripture of galatians and he shows us hey this is like ground that's going to fall out from underneath you god wants to talk to us through the scriptures This is the primary way in which the Holy Spirit speaks with us. I say the primary way because it's not that he doesn't speak to us other ways. The the Holy Spirit speaks to us and he uses other people. He uses other people in the church and their wisdom. He uses this quiet leading voice when you sit in the stillness of his presence. But, But here's the deal. I say that that's secondary because each one of those things is either validated or nullified by this. Man, you think the Holy Spirit's speaking to you through someone in the church? Does it match up with this? You think Spirit's guiding you to do one thing or another? Does it match up with this? If it doesn't match up with this, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's coming from something else. He will not ever contradict this. Man, how do we practically combat the flesh? We get into our Bibles. God wants to talk to us and lead us and guide us and show us. And it's beautiful. Man, this is what He gives us as a weapon against it. Now, now, the context of Ephesians chapter 6 in the armor of God, this famous passage, is about fighting against the devil, which we're gonna hear about next week. But but we see it, and we 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 see that you put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. But, but what's the one attacking thing that we're given? It's the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. The Spirit is not the sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the means by which he gives so much ability for us to actually put to death the things of the flesh. That we would follow him. That we would not practice those things. That we would turn in repentance. Spirit, lead me. Lead me away from these things and give me your fruit. Teach me to be loving and joyful and peaceful and kind and gentle and good. And he teaches us through this. Not only that, he teaches us through prayer. And he leads us through prayer. Would we be people that spend time with God? And most of the Christian life can actually be summed up in, in these two things. By scripture and prayer. And what, what is most of the Christian life about? What is, what is it to be... Known by Jesus and to know him. It's, it's to spend time listening to him in here and to spend time talking with him in prayer. And we're invited into prayer. And yes, there's a lot of other things in the Christian life, like telling other people about the joy and the goodness of Jesus and being involved and encouraged with the church. But all of those things flow out of the relationship that we get to have with Jesus on a daily basis. Man, we get to talk with the living God. And did you know, you don't just talk with the living God generally, and we don't just pray to the Father. You know you can pray and talk with each member of the Trinity. You know you can pray to God the Father. You know you can pray to God the Son, Jesus Christ, and you can pray to God the Spirit. I wonder how many of us have never actually done that. And can I encourage you to do so, to talk to the Spirit, to ask him, would you lead me in this? Would you light my path? Would you, would you teach me how to go? And there's times where we don't even know what to pray. We're just lost. Like, I don't even know how to pray. I don't have the words. He gives us guidance on that too, Romans chapter 8. Like, when we don't have the words to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words to express Man, did you like? Did you hear that? There's like this crazy mystery that God, the Holy Spirit, intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God to God the Father. Like I don't understand why, but He does it. And you can ask Him, like God, a Spirit. I do not know what to pray. Will you just guide me? Will you pray for me? I don't know what to do, and He will. And it'll be according to His will, which is holy and righteous and perfect. How do we practically combat the flesh? Through scripture and through prayer. But, but also this other thing about understanding our weakness. Now I'm not like a sports guy, like I don't watch sports. I tried to watch like a football game and I got like 35 seconds in and I was bored. But, uh, like if, if you're on a team and you, you want to really win this game, from what I understand, one of the things that you might do is you might watch videos of the way your opponent plays. You get to know your opponent so that you can effectively fight or play against them. If our opponent is our own flesh, would we be people that understand our own weakness? Uh, this guy, Jonathan Edwards, guy back from the 1700s, um, he, he had like 70 of these resolutions. Um, and, and this one is v- number 37. It says this, resolved. To inquire every night as I am going to bed, wherein I have been negligent, what sin I have committed, and wherein I have denied myself, also at the end of every week, month, and year. Do you, do you think if he was doing that regularly and actually doing that, he starts to see patterns in his life and sees this, like his biggest downfalls? Like, what if we were to do something like that? Or what if we were to take this passage from Galatians chapter 5 and that list of immorality, impurity, and sensuality and drunkenness and, and that whole list? Just like copy and paste it from like a Bible app or something, put it in a document, like triple space it and print it out and grab a highlighter and a pen and just start circling the ones that hit you and maybe writing some notes and maybe transferring that into a notebook and we see our weaknesses. And we start praying through this. Spirit, help me to see my weaknesses and actually help me, guide me in how to address these things that are like my biggest pitfalls. And our list might look different than somebody else's and that's okay. But if you do that, can I just encourage you to take it one step further because that's kind of a depressing list. But take it one step further and make it a living document and write notes in it. as you pray through these things, and you see God giving you triumphs, will you note those down too? And let this be a document that leads you into worship, where you say, man, look at what God is doing in my life. Yeah, these are the weaknesses, but look at what God's doing in my life. One of the other things about understanding our weakness, there there is a weakness that, that most of us tend to fall into, about just getting used to things. I, I remember first going to Iraq, a lot of my brothers and sisters in arms will, will resonate with this, but when you first get there and you first get like a rocket or a mortar that comes in, like you're trained in how to respond. You're trained in how to respond and, and, and you do that response. The first time your adrenaline's going and you do everything to the T and it helps keep you alive. But, but here's what happens. Seven, eight months in, you've been rocketed countless times and they like rocket you at two in the morning and you just wake up and the alarm's going and you're just like, can you kill me? try and kill me in the morning? Like, I just wanna sleep. You're like, I gotta go to the bunker. I'm not going without my cigars. I don't care about the body armor. Like, right, and complacency sets in. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous to act like that. It's dangerous not to take it seriously. But you come, become so numb to the shrapnel around you that you don't take it seriously. Man, how many of us have the shrapnel of our own sin surrounding us so much that we're numb to it? How many of us have become complacent with our own flesh and our own sin? Man, would we not do that? Would we be on the alert? Complacency is dangerous and possibly fatal. Man, we understand our weaknesses, and, but, but we don't just leave them there understanding them. We actually address them. We address the things that are our biggest failure points and even come up with plans and preparations for how to deal with them. I, uh, me, me and my wife ha- have this deal and, and a way to address this. The internet is a terrible thing, just a terrible thing. And they, I, I'll be fine. We're living life, and everything's fine. No temptations. But then what'll happen is my wife will just leave. Like, not just leave, but like she goes to like shopping or something. Uh, <laughs> she leaves, and, and it's crazy. And the lust of the flesh just rises up in me like that. And what do you do in that moment? Well, we have a plan in place. The first thing I do is I grab my phone, I open up a text message and I send it to my wife. First thing, and it just says, tempted, pray for me and ask me about it when you get home. And can I tell you how effective that is? Can I tell you how amazingly effective that is? And that is not just some legalistic thing that I have to do, this is a plan that I believe that the Holy Spirit led me to and we do it in trust of him to put to death the deeds of the body every single time. That, that's a plan that we have in place. And your plan might look different, or you might have several of them, of ways that you address your biggest shortcomings and failures. Maybe it's before you go to hang out with that person that you know you just always spend hours gossiping with, that you would look at the scriptures about how the tongue is a fire, and think about that scripture, and ask the Spirit to help you honor God. Maybe it's spending some time meditating on how far Christ went to forgive you before you go to that event where you know you're gonna see that person that hurts you so bad and it's so easy to hang on to that bitterness. Maybe it's spending some time in just thankfulness for God in every way that he has taken care of you and provided for you in this life before you go hang out at that friend's house where you see the stuff that they have and it just sparks envy and jealousy in you. And maybe it's actually just writing out three really good questions and being intentional to ask them when you come to church because you know you tend to turn every single conversation all about you. Whatever it is, those are just some examples. When we understand our weaknesses, we can prepare for them specifically and ask the Spirit to guide you in those things. Don't let them become legalistic, but ways in which you desire to honor Christ by the Spirit's power, and he will lead you in that. And lastly of these we, we need to understand that the way that we practically combat the flesh is to repent. Repentance is a daily thing in the Christian's life. We will fall. And we don't have the attitude of, oh, Christ will forgive me and I can do this. That, that is not the attitude of a believer. But we do know that we are going to fall. That we get distracted. And that we give in to the lusts of the flesh. And in those moments, the Spirit says, hey, you fell. You fell. I got you. And we turn, we repent. That's what it is to repent, is to turn back, to return to him and follow him. Would we do that in faith? Would we be people that are relying on the spirit and putting to death the deeds of the body, starving them out and fleeing from them, that we would be a people that nourish that relationship with the spirit and grow the fruits of the spirit by his power? Let's pray. God, you are so good. Holy Spirit, I ask you specifically to lead us this week, that you would show us our weaknesses, that you would help us prepare for the battle, that you would illuminate the scriptures to us and talk to us, and that you would press us into prayer, and that we would daily repent and return to you this week. And would you be making a name for yourself and your glory by changing us into a people that is in love with you and cherishes you above all things. And would you make us more and more like you every day. Pray this in Jesus' name and his blood poured out for us on that cross. Amen.